Welcome to The Spirit Explodes with Roger Kirby. This is Acts Study 2, running from Acts chapter 1 verse 14 to chapter 2 verse 13. It's about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Almost exactly 50 days after their great redemption from Egypt, the ancient people of God met him at Sinai. In New Testament times, the people of Israel celebrated that day in the Feast of Weeks, which brought a great crowd to Jerusalem. We call that day Pentecost, which means the 50th day. Before we proceed, perhaps, we should say something about the Trinity. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob had the personal name of Yahweh, as Moses was told in Exodus chapter 3. In most English Bibles, this name is indicated by the word LORD in capital letters, reflecting the fact that in biblical times they did not say the name Yahweh, but substituted their word for LORD. Since we can't say capital letters, we will say LORD GOD. The LORD GOD is referred to in many ways in the Old Testament. First, as Spirit. Isaiah chapter 63, where we read, I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel. And then a few verses later, Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Secondly, as wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1 where we have, Out in the open wisdom calls aloud. And then, a few verses later, They hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Thirdly, as word, Isaiah chapter 55, My word goes out from my mouth, it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And fourthly, as law, Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. To a greater or lesser extent, these were spoken of, or related to, almost as if they were the Lord God himself. This prepares us for the New Testament, where first Jesus, then the Holy Spirit, are referred to in ways that indicate they are the Lord God, the same Lord God, but a different person. There is one God, but three persons. God the Father is in heaven. Jesus God is with him after effecting our salvation through his death on the cross. Spirit God is with us in the everyday, mediating the things of God and Jesus to us. The passage we're about to look at tells us how the presence of the Holy Spirit was signaled to the early disciples. It sets the tone for how we are to understand his presence. So we go on then to read chapter 1, verses 15 to 26. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about a hundred and twenty, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. 
He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. Then he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language Akemada, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us for the whole time that Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. There is, of course, a major problem here. Why did Jesus choose Judas to be one of the twelve in the first place? He turned traitor and came to a horrible end. It is very difficult to see how the sovereignty of God worked in these events. Question 1. How far should we copy their procedure in choosing Matthias, the casting of lots, for our decision-making? Probably we shouldn't copy it at all. Later, after the Holy Spirit came, very different procedures came into use. All the disciples chose the seven deacons in chapter 6. The Holy Spirit chose Barnabas and Paul in chapter 13 in some unspecified way. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in various churches in chapter 14. We have to choose people for positions of authority and servanthood in a way appropriate to our culture. This question raises an important point. When we are reading an historical narrative, a historical story, how do we know what we are to copy? What things given us as examples of what we should not do? We're going to see a good example of that in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. And what are neither the one nor the other? Each situation must be considered on its merits. This is the power of narrative. It does not simply tell us what to do, it makes us think, and that is very important. Now we read chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. 
When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Question 2. Who did the Spirit come upon? What are the significances of the fact that, first, he did not come upon the twelve apostles alone, Secondly, he came on each of them individually. And three, he came on all of them corporately. The gift of the Spirit was and is given to every Christian on their profession of faith and entry into the kingdom. It is the sovereign gift of God and does not require any special person to be present for it to be given and received. It is, however, very much something that comes to a Christian within the fellowship of other Christians on all except the rare occasions when there are no other Christians involved in the first steps of faith of a convert. We are told that people heard the good news in their own native language, what we call their mother tongue, referring to the fact that the language one grew up with as a young child usually has a special place in one's life. Question 3. What are the implications of that simple but astounding fact? The Galilean dialect of their language was notoriously distinct and different, hence part of the surprise of the crowd. What exactly happened is difficult to make out. The ecstatic tongues mentioned in 1 Corinthians were unintelligible unless translated whereas the whole point of what happened here is that the message suddenly became intelligible to everybody. We have to conclude that they were quite different sorts of events. Perhaps it is a deliberate reversal of Babel. The list of nations is a selection from modern Italy to modern Pakistan, so it is really saying people from everywhere. Everyone has what we call a mother tongue the first language they were taught by their mother. Almost always that is the language the person feels most comfortable in and understands best. In many countries and regions of the world there is also another language, the language of the bazaar, the country or the region. And now, very recently, another language has become common, English, mainly because it is the dominant language of the Internet. In the days of the New Testament, Greek was the language that was very widely spoken and understood. Ideas were discussed in Greek. Now, for only the second time in history, there is a similar common language for ideas 
and therefore for the ideas of faith. Question 4. What implication does that have for what we, the worldwide church, and we as individuals, can and should do? Mother tongues are very important, and the work of Bible translation is going on faster and in more places than ever before, so that more and more people can enjoy the Bible in their own mother tongue. But English is very important too, for it enables us to share ideas, and therefore ideas about the Christian faith, all round the world, as never before. This Partaker's website is part of that sharing. And you are part of that sharing. Make sure you have a Bible in your familiar language and do your best to get as much information about your faith in English as well as in other languages as you can. Thanks for listening. Come back to Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk where every day there is something added to help you in your life as a Christian disciple. Thank you.